What's good, everyone? It's Sarah Harrison, a.k.a. Lady in the Trap. And that's exactly where you are right now. You have entered In the Trap podcast. Yes, officially the debut episode of the podcast. And if you have been following, I'm sorry that it has landed late. During this lockdown, all the days are just merging into one. And it seems like I'm just having catnaps in between and just hibernating. It was supposed to land on Monday the 20th. It is now Saturday the 25th. But I think um, I'm just going to feed it out right now and just upload it on, on Saturdays because, you know, most of us don't really have a routine right now. However, it is mostly the creative community likely to be locked into this podcast that gets to quote unquote benefit from this downtime. There's a large proportion of essential workers on the front line and I must take the time to just give my heart out to you, express my gratitude and respect because as much as I'm enjoying being creative, being in the trap, the tragic circumstances of the world right now never fail to cross my mind. So I always have a thought to spare. If you have been following, I did upload a five-part series of throwback interviews, just rewinding back a good six years, I'd say, and handpicked some of my favorite moments with Ray Shrimmard, G-Eazy, LMA, Tory Lanes and Russ. We're available on Apple, Spotify and Google and you're free to subscribe, follow and leave a comment where you can. But don't let those episodes fool you into thinking that this is purely a hip-hop podcast. I want to be very clear about what will be happening here. I want to open up the floor to unheard voices of individuals not just from the music business but all creative industries. I'm telling you from fashion to literature, poetry, even motivational speaking, anything that involves creative minds. Of course, it's still going to be heavily music centric because at the end of the day, that's my prime passion and that's what draws me to people. But I'm going to be the first to say I'm here to learn just as much as you are. And we call it In The Trap because it's about the time spent in the trenches, in the dirt, putting in the work. That is what makes your story that is the journey that is the beauty of it my prime focus is their story because I personally take pride in my own I feel like when I break it down to every single detail everything really plays a part and it may seem so self-explanatory but we live in such an instantaneous social construct that we forget the decisions we make now stem from the decisions we made in the past whether good or bad but is there really a bad decision if it leads to a good outcome. Okay, I don't want to go into that rabbit hole, especially not by myself. Definitely want to save that for discussions with my guests. But yes, all sorts of conversations will be sparked, entertainment and entrepreneurship. But the focus is their story from conception to inception and everything in between. So for episode number one, I'm taking it to New York City. First met this chap in 2014, I believe. He was working at a world famous hip hop radio station. And I had got into that building courtesy of Cypher Sounds, who I'd hit up over Twitter, but I'm sure that's an episode in itself. So I'll save those stories. But this guy's passion, his dedication, hard work, and just all round badass attitude really kept our friendship solid and we both share a passion for new talent so we continued to to grow the relationship and we'd met 
across a few different festivals in the US. He had come to the UK as well with another famous radio DJ. But I'm not going to give away too much because otherwise I'll be basically narrating the story that he's about to narrate. We start at his turbulent teens, moving on to having several quote-unquote regular jobs. How he caught the attention of a popular radio personality. We touch on the mixtape era, his growth within this radio station, the stressful side of radio, then making a transition into full-time artist management. And we touch on some relevant topics of the business, like production companies, uh, major labels, independent markets, what it takes to be an artist, making connections, having that hustle. We really get to talking the shit. I mean, both me and him are quite ruthless people. We don't take no for an answer and we sure don't take excuses. So I'm about to wrap up this intro, man, and get right into it. In the Trap, episode one, his name is Hip Hop Mike. podcast on lockdown there's multiple things going on right here <laughs> multiple formats there is a lot happening on here uh we're on insta live we're on zoom i'm in new york sarah's in london and i decided to get hip-hop mike for the first edition for this because i i feel like you're the original ig live guy you're the original live stream like oh word i appreciate it you know i live on here but uh, i don't get credit for it and then live blew up exactly now i was on periscope you remember periscope periscope was the one i'm not gonna lie so i used to be lit on periscope periscope was on was that linked to twitter yeah at a certain point twitter took it over but i was on periscope really early i used to go on live stream like late at night i'd have like a couple hundred people in there i was like famous on the one social media platform that didn't take off (laughs) (laughs) that's crazy but yeah like as i said you know, I feel like what we both do, um, Hip Hop Mike and I, uh, we've been in the broadcasting and media world for a decent amount of years now. Um, but, you know, we feel like we've met up, you know, we've talked about things that we're going to do. And we've always felt like we need to be in the same location to make it happen. I feel like I need to look at this camera, not this camera. Yeah, I feel like um, <laughs> we've always just put a halt on things, you know, and not made anything happen because we all, we're so used to just having that personal, you know, contact. Yeah. Well, we're used to being in studios. Like anytime we've linked up to, like we've always been in a place where we could record or something, but like to not even take the time to set this up, this is actually pretty simple. Like I'm dead serious about like continuing to do this pretty regularly after quarantine this is so true as i said like when you're forced to just use the tools that you're restricted to you end up being so creative and thinking outside the box literally that you know you just you start to feel you start to feel guilty that you hadn't done it before if that makes sense Nah, i feel that i'm excited to be here today it's crazy but yeah i don't want to make it too much of a like you know coronavirus podcast but we have to touch on the sentiment (laughs) No, that's a fact. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad you look like you're doing well out there. You look like you've dodged the virus well. Um, 
look nice and healthy. So, so far we're, we're doing well. In the trap with Hip Hop Mike, the podcast, you're officially kicking off the, the day one on lockdown edition. So Hip Hop Mike, for people um, that are hearing your name for the first time, who is Hip Hop Mike and how did you get that name? Um, I got the name Hip Hop Mike because Sypha and Rosenberg were calling me Doughboy. Um, I was working at a pizzeria a long time ago and I ended up working with them at Hot 87 for a while. The name Hip Hop Mike came from, um, from Twitter. Honestly, I was like signing up for Twitter. It was like a generator. It's like, who are you? What do you like? I was like, hip hop. My name is Mike. He spit out hip hop, Mike. <laughs> um, but I've had a, an array of nicknames. Uh, when I was a kid, they called me Turkey because my last name is Turk. Um, Bruno calls me bitch all the time. He's, he's here right now. <laughs> but nah, I mean, the name Hip Hop Mike, I guess, is, has grown on me. Except Live Like Davis always calls me HHM. Yo, Bruno, can you grab this pizza from outside? <laughs> <laughs> or Hip Hop Mark. Or Michael K has called me Hip Hop Mark. Look at you, you got assistance in quarantine. Yeah, we have assistance <laughs> in quarantine. <laughs> Nah, you just grab it. Grab it and tell them your name is Hip Hop Mike. Stay six feet away. <laughs> Stay six feet away from the driver. Wipe the box down with this alcohol pad when you get back. Oh, I see you're on the same <laughs> wave as I am. <laughs> Being very careful over here. No, 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 you have to. So you said you mentioned the names Cypher Sounds and Rosenberg there. Two big names in the broadcasting world. So how did you even you know, have that first foot in the door? And, you know, what were you doing before that? Um, so when I was younger, I was in like a group home. Um, and I basically, they would bring us to like the library and I'd reach out to everybody that worked at Hot 87 on MySpace. And I linked up with Rosenberg, like through MySpace Messenger, whatever, the DMs. And um, we kind of got familiar, but we didn't really talk much. Um, I don't even remember if we like friended each other on there or anything, but it was like, I sent this message out to every single person that worked there, and he's the only one that wrote back. Uh, fast forward a couple of years, I get out of the group home. I moved to Long Island. Uh, I'm sorry, to Brooklyn. And um, I'm living in Brooklyn in like a basement apartment and working a bunch of different jobs. I, I have to show you this just while, while I have this. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, hey, pizza. <laughs> pizza, man. So, um, <laughs> so I moved to Brooklyn, I started working all these jobs and, um, I end up winning tickets to a concert called Rock the Bells, which is like a big show that they used to do here in New York every year. Um, I was working at like a barbershop, a pizzeria, a pharmacy, a photography company, just like every job that you could work at where the radio would play all day. And, um, I ended up kind of winning tickets to this show, Rock the Bells. Uh, sneaking backstage, meeting Rosenberg in person and um, asking him if he remembered me. He remembered me, but he kind of curved me. He was like, um, you know, you got to go to college. You should try and get like, you know, a situation like that. And then you can maybe get an internship. And I was very like, okay, I went back to work. You know, I tried college out, but it didn't really go too well. Like, I mean, I went for a couple of months and I just wasn't feeling it and I wanted to make more money. And I was like, you know, doing better when I was working all these jobs, like financially. So I went back to working all these jobs. A year went by and um, I won tickets to the same show again. 
And you won. It was five fixed. Times? It was. Yeah. <laughs> I won. I won three times in a row. Actually, I won that year and the following year. And um, it was just crazy. It was just crazy luck because like I never really even entered contests or anything like that. But like I would hear Rock the Bells and I always wanted to go because Nas would headline and Nas is like my favorite artist and I wanted to go. What's up? <laughs> my boy Bruno snuck in in 2012. Who doesn't sneak into shows sometimes? Who doesn't sneak into shows? No cat. Bruno snuck into plenty of shows. Yo, can you pass me those shades so I can feel like super swaggy because I'm on, I'm in the trap with Sarah Harrison in quarantine and this is major. This is the most nerdy track <laughs> ever. <laughs> this is this is very hip hop nerdy track. I know. Um I snuck backstage year after year. I kept seeing Rosenberg and I was like, man, like I will do anything to work with you. Like I'll sweep floors. I will do whatever you need help with. I got you. And show enough, he uh was nice enough to let me drive him around for a while and then become like his assistant and just kind of, you know, grinding through that, met a lot of people and, you know, Peter kind of taught me everything that I know, like from production to DJing to everything, like, and it just kind of started there. <laughs> you said you had a number of jobs, like, especially in that, in that year that, you know, you won the first time and then he was like, you know, go, go and do your thing for a little bit um, and then you won again. So what kind of jobs did you have in that year? So I was a barber, I was cutting hair. Um, I have a barber's license. I feel like a cornball with the shades, but I feel super smacked without the shades. <laughs> <It's fine. laughs> um, the barber shop, I had like a barber situation that I was cutting everybody's hair in the neighborhood. Um, it took a while though. At first, nobody let me cut anybody's hair. Like I would be at the shop all day. Nobody would come in. And it's like, as things got more lit, I guess, with Peter and like all that, then more people gave me like a chance to cut their hair. But there was that. Um, I was a delivery boy at a pharmacy, so I would ride like a bike around like three neighborhoods and deliver pills and medicine and like all kinds, like whatever you could order from phone, uh, by phone from a pharmacy. I rode the bike around all over Brooklyn delivering medication. Um, I worked at a photography company. The photography company, it went out probably for the better. <laughs> The photography company was pretty much what happened. Come on, come on, say hi to Aww. Sarah. <laughs> she's, she's mad extra. What's her name? What happened, <laughs> Roxy? Hey, Roxy. She's been sleeping. She's been sleeping all day, and now she wants to wake her ass up. <laughs> <laughs> so, um. Yeah, I mean, I worked the pharmacy, I worked the barbershop, I worked a photography company where I would like drive picture frames from like here to like state to state, like three different states, like New York, Jersey, and Connecticut. And sometimes like Boston, they would send us to Boston and I would like load my car up with picture frames and like put pictures in the frames at like bar mitzvahs and weddings and all kinds of different parties. I've been to like mad catering halls and I would eat hella buffet food. <laughs> so you just transport um, them I would just like yeah I basically I'd go to a warehouse in Brooklyn and they would be like your party is in Connecticut today and you'd be like all right which frames am I taking and they give us the paper and and I just go through the paper and load my car up with all these different types of frames and um you get to like pick 
what kind of frame you want at the party. So like my whole house, I have a bunch of these. I don't know if you can see up there, there's like some frames, like they're different types of frames. Oh yeah. So you basically, you take a picture and I'd be like, which frame do you want? And I would print out the picture and put the picture in the frame for them. And then people would take it home. You put like a sticker on the back with our phone number. That's really cool. Well, you didn't like it though. <laughs> nah, I mean, it was cool. It was like, you know what it is, is it was a lot of driving around and it was good money. Why are you bugging? This dog's bugging today. Oh, oh Roxy, she wants to, she wants in. She wants in on the podcast. Oh, she's so gorgeous. <laughs> she's such trouble. So yeah, I mean, I've had that job. I had uh what else? I worked at Sleepy's. I worked at a mattress store for like two years. So that was kind of crazy. So all of these jobs, had you had your eyes or set on anything or like a passion? before you knew that hip-hop was, the, you know, the, the the calling for you? Yeah, you see, I didn't know what I was doing. So, like, I mean, to really tell you the story, I got to take it back. And it's like, I got into hip-hop. I was working at a hair salon when I was a kid. I was, like, really young, before the group home, anything. I worked at, like, my cousin's hair salon. I was, like, 11, 12. I would sweep the floors. And they'd pay me, like, 25 bucks a day. And I'd go to the mixtape spot, and I would, like, buy mixtapes, like, up the block from the hair salon. And I got super into hip hop, um, but then I got in a lot of trouble. I was like, you know, robbing people and breaking into houses and like doing all kinds of like mischievous stuff, um, mischievous things, and just kind of like trying to get my money up. But like my dad was in trouble with the law. He had went away um, to jail for like a couple years. And I just kind of like, I got into some bad shit. I went to the group home. I came out, I met Rosenberg and I started working these jobs thinking like, I'm never doing anything bad ever again. Don't want to get in trouble again. Don't want to go back to any group homes. So like working all these jobs, it was like definitely like trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And like when I went to school, like I tried pharmacy school. I was going to be a pharmacist because working at the pharmacy. I got my barber's license because I'm going to be a barber. I wanted to open a restaurant because I was working at Pizza Spot. Like, I was trying to do all these jobs. And I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. And honestly, like, after when I met Peter, like, that third year, like, sneaking backstage, and he gave me a chance, I was just, like, I knew that I wanted to work in music, but I didn't know what. I didn't know where. I didn't know. I didn't never thought I was going to do interviews. Like, ever in my life would I think. I was the most antisocial, didn't talk to anybody, had no friends, went to five high schools, like moved around, like always super new kiddish. And I just ended up linking with Peter and just kind of trying to be the best I could in radio. And like, you know, I got lit for a minute, <laughs> for sure. What what age then was it? What kind of age range was? did you feel like your life was pretty turbulent before you got on the, on the right track? I got I got in trouble at 15 and they kept me till I was uh 17. And then like right when I was about to turn 18, they let me out of the the spot cuz I like aged out of the group home. And at that point I decided I'm going to just be good. Like I started just not doing anything bad. No selling drugs, no fucking robbing people, no nothing bad. Like and I just got super on my A game. Like I really just, I made it like all work, no play. I didn't have girlfriends. Like I didn't go away with my friends. Like I just worked like all these jobs trying to make money. And like, don't get me wrong. Like when kids didn't really have much, like I had an apartment, I had a nice car. Like I still do. Like I worked my ass off, you know, but 
it was like not until I met Peter that I really had any kind of like direction. It was just kind of like scrambled and scattered. I get you. Your heritage is your Italian of Italian descent? Yeah, I'm Italian, Polish and Russian from what I know. Wow. But I don't know too much about like any one heritage like I'm weird because I was I, we're working at the barbershop. I know more Dominicans and black people than I do Italians and Polish. Yeah. So you're you're a New Yorker, essentially. Yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's the best way to put it for sure. Definitely a New Yorker with a hint of Florida. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> you said that you used to, you know, get mixtapes and stuff. What kind of names were you attached to back then? Like both on the artist side and on the DJ side. And obviously radio was a big, yeah, big no. deal. As well. I mean, DJ side, it was like Green Lantern, K-Slay, Clue, um, any of like the Hot 97 tapes. Power 105 wasn't even around back then in New York. It was like just Hot 97. I got super into G-Unit. I was listening to all the G-Unit tapes, all the Dipset tapes, um, all kinds of ish. It was just like every week I would grab all the hot tapes. I'd, I'd get $25, I'd pay $5 a tape, but I would leave like five tapes every week. That's crazy because I, I got attached to the the southern mixtapes more than i oh, was on the east coast stuff yeah it's interesting it's so funny yeah i was definitely in new york it was queens so it was like i didn't really get this other stuff until after 50 like when wayne started popping that's when like i started seeing the south a lot like but outside of that it was like a lot of new york la but I was working at the spot too. So like yeah, there probably were tapes that had the Southern stuff and I just wasn't buying them. I would buy all the New York stuff, go back to Long Island and burn, make copies of the tapes and then sell them in school. And I get like my 25 back plus whatever. Like you flipped it for real. Yeah, I was definitely flipping tapes for sure. You know, the mixtape era, I love. I Like I love to death and I really miss it. But I even feel like I never got the true essence of it because I'm, you know, I've never lived from where they kind of were birthed. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I've always kind of just got the the ripple effect of the mixtape. Did you have, um like, Napster or LimeWire or any of that? Yeah, so LimeWire, of course. <laughs> I do actually remember physical CDs that I used to get from the market in Malta, which is where I'm originally from. Okay. It's crazy. Like, it used to, like the hip-hop tapes used to just be there, readily available, and all the other, like, house and techno shit was like sold out <laughs> and i'll be the only one getting the hip-hop stuff <laughs> i mean listen you woke to that hip-hop i'm i'm curious of like how how long after you guys were able to get our stuff because like if we dropped like what year did you start here in 50 do you remember so 50 not let me see actually so i left i left malta in 2002 Probably around then, 2002, actually. So you guys weren't far behind because, like, we, I started hearing about 50, like, 2002, 2003. So y'all got the tapes probably pretty quick. They always come out quick in the market. <laughs> what DJs do you remember? I remember Envy. Okay, Envy, yeah. Envy had a hella tape. Yeah. I know uh, Woo Kid. Y'all definitely got some Woo Kid tapes. Oh, yeah, Woo Kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. 100%. <laughs> of, course, tapes of course. Everywhere. That boy is literally everywhere. like he even did a, a UK tape at some point. For sure, <laughs> he did. He might have been one of the first from from here. I'm telling you, he had all these names that we we feel like have just now broken through, like Skepta, Gigs. I'm telling you, they were on these tapes. <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. 
So yeah, so you mentioned Peter Rosenberg, you know, that being a pivotal point. So what do you remember about you setting foot in the Hot 97 building and starting to get yourself into that into that community? What was that kind of insertion like? I um I had been there for like a couple of times maybe before I started working there. I maybe had went up there three times, two or three times on like a holiday or something when Peter was working. And that's literally, it was like different being in the studio. Like I had never seen it. I had never like seen any radio station. So like to be hot and see it, it was like tight. Um, by the time I started working, like a few years later, it might've been like two years later. Um, and I went up there as like a street team member. It was like right at the end, maybe like two years before Angie left, two years before Dennis and Mr. C and, you know, the whole yeah. morning show changed. Like, so it was a couple years before that. Um, and it was tight. It was like classic, like old school Hot 97. Like I was seeing Flex for the first time. I was seeing like Angie every day. It was like, it was pretty tight. Um, and I did like a lot of street team events. I did, I worked with my homie Janky. I got my boy uh, Bass Vinny a job there for a bit. And like we worked a lot of different events. We did like all the cell phone stores and all the like Dunkin' Donuts. Like we go to these venues and those locations, whatever, and like promote the brand. A street team. Yeah. I mean, street team was tight. Like I just I wasn't making any money. That's the thing. Like I when I was selling mattresses, I was making almost like a hundred thousand dollars a year. Like I was making a lot of money. And, <laughs> and I it was crazy. I was making a lot of money selling mattresses. It was like in New York City, I managed like a store on the Upper East Side. I was at every day and it was like great money. And I left and I went to go work at Hot. I took this job on the street team. Like, and it wasn't paying shit, but it was like, it let me live at the station. It just let me be there all the time. So you went in there essentially as Peter's assistant prior to actually being in, in the ecosystem of Hot 97, right? Well, I had been to like a lot of events that were Hot 97 events with Peter. And then I had been to the station like a couple of times just to help out like here and there. So it wasn't like I was there constantly, but like I had went there like maybe to help him on a morning show or like go there, you know, if he had an interview in the afternoon or something. Like it was kind of still early for him too. So, I mean, he was there a lot and I would kind of pop by when I wasn't working at Sleepy's. But like more times than not. Take us through the ropes then of of your time at Hot 97. What you know? How did you move about in different um, roles or or scheduling or you know whatever the case may be? Yeah, nah. Hot was interesting. Like I mean, I moved around a lot. Like a lot of people were coming and going. It changed a lot. So it was like you know when I first started, it, Street Team was very straightforward. It was like this is the event. This is where you're going. It was kind of removed. You didn't see a lot of jobs. Hold up, I'm doing an interview, Coco. <laughs> what happened? Yeah, I'm on a podcast. My friend Coco came in playing a song. <laughs> Turned up. I can't hear any background noise. She's she's messed up. You say hi, Coco. This is Sarah. Oh, hey. <laughs> hey. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, navigating hot was definitely interesting because it was like you know, the street team was very straightforward and easy. And like, I, I didn't really see a lot of the personalities. I was new. But like, for me, I think, it, and you know, I spoke to Peter about this once or twice, but like, I think really, I didn't, I never had an agenda. So like, I just made friends with people naturally. Like, I never really, I didn't DJ at the time. Like, I just started working there. I didn't really know anything about anything. I just kind of was trying to be more helpful to people than 
to do anything for myself. And I think that like allowed me to just connect with people that like I was meant to connect with. So you operate like, you know, you, you was operating the boards or what were you any, just do anything and everything. Yeah. Well, after the, um, after the street team, I got promoted to like board up because I would be there a lot. I was there like doing the, um, Sunday show for Rosenberg. I was there with like Shawnee culture a lot. He'd show me how the boards work. So like, I already knew how they work, but like, I didn't have any job or business being on boards and uh, shout out to Carly Hustle. Carly Hustle was like, you know, like if you know how to do the boards, I'm gonna give you a shot to do the boards. And I started doing the boards and I was just like relentless in learning them. And it was like an old system at the time. It was the system called Dillette. It wasn't um, like a wide orbit or something. And it was a lot of just hands-on. And like, I really, I enjoyed it. Like I enjoyed kind of being behind the scenes, being in the studio. And I just like grew from there. Like that's kind of when me and Juanito got really tight and me and Juanito started doing like feed the meter and podcasting. And it's like, we did a lot of interviews. Like we were seeing people come in all the time. Cause once you're in the studio, it's different. When I was on the street team, I was like outside all the time. So I'd see people here and there at events or concerts, but like, you know, I got to see really every part of the building. And I, I think that's really like what made it dope too, is like I was tight with everybody that was in the building, whether it's like sales or program directing or assistant program or like I'm cool with everybody, you know? So, and still I, to this day, I don't really have an agenda. I never really wanted to be on radio per se. Like I didn't, I, like it was fun and like I enjoyed it, but radio stresses me out too. And like being around so many people, I kind of saw like, People like Rosenberg and Ebro like love to have an opinion on things, give their opinions, cover the culture, cover like, well, not necessarily even just the culture, but like the news, the shows, like I kind of just enjoy music. Like I love the artists. I love running around with artists. Like I love connecting dots with people. So, I mean, I did everything at Hot 97, but like I even had Hot 97 maybe two years into me being on air because I eventually I got on air. And um, two years in, I was like, I want to do management. Like, I loved management. And I started working with Live Lake Davis. Oh, interesting. So you feel, you mentioned the word stressful. Mm -hmm. What specific, I mean, you did touch on the fact that, you know, you feel like being an on-air personality does come with a lot of things. Like, you know, you're carrying a lot of opinions that are probably going to shape you as a person or, or people's, other people's judgment of you. Was that the stress of it or was there other things that you felt were stressful? Um, I mean, you know the vibes. It's like when you work in radio, everything is stressful. It's down to the second at all times. Everybody kind of needs help with something. Um, I mean, I'll be honest, even too, like I put myself in a position where I was helping a lot of people with a lot of shit. And don't get me wrong, it was like, cool, like, you know, but I wasn't really building my own thing. So it's like... And gain no credit, yeah. Yeah, and I like, I don't even care. Like, that's the thing is I never even cared about the credit, but I just want to make money. Like, I really just wanted to make money and, like, make sure, like, by no means, like, I left the job where I was making money to do this because, like, I enjoyed it. So it's like that constant chase of trying to do something you enjoy and getting paid to do it. So it's like... For a lot of reasons, radio filled those columns, but like there were some columns that just radio could never fill. And that that was kind of the stress of it is just like, you know, this is great. I love it, but like I don't want to be Barbara Walters when I grow up. <laughs> like mm, no, I you get know, you. like yeah. and and you know, I and honestly it's a combination of that with having respect for people like you know, being around Rosenberg, meeting people like Jimmy Kimmel, like these guys love this shit. Like they love it. Like, 
you know? So don't get me wrong. I love it, but there's a lot of pressure with that. And I don't think I'm necessarily the best guy to be giving opinions on stuff. Right. So we left off uh, with you taking up the management side of things, but I want to wrap up your, you know, your journey at Hot 97. What was the, the tail end of it? <laughs> the tail end of it. I got fired from Hot 97. I don't know. I think I was just, I was doing a lot of lit shit and I don't know if it made sense. It was like, I got crazy on the internet. Like it's a long story too. Like I was trying to help somebody out and they had went through a situation. They like tried to sabotage my whole shit. It was like a lot, but honestly it was like, to, to, long story short, the stress built up. Like the stress was just building up and like, it didn't make sense anyway and like you know i needed a push to move on and it was just the timing worked out perfectly and you know it's it's unfortunate that it went down like that like it's very unfortunate i'd say um and i would definitely tell you all about it off the air but like out of respect for people and sure i'm just leave it be you know that's how it should be for sure yeah but yeah i just i tried my best to to add my part the best i could and you know it was the best way ever to spend my 20s i'm gonna be 30 in november and i'm just like i'm excited for new things for new things now 100 percent. when something happens that seems unprecedented it's for a a better cause you know it's for something that yeah as i said like you know you you explore something inside you that you feel like you had slept on for a while or you know you weren't really paying much attention to which for you it seems like you really want to follow that management path and why did why was that such a passion for you i mean i loved running around with peter <laughs> like honestly like that was the best ever is like to be able to run around with somebody who's you know a substantial talent that's able to do a lot of different events that's able to kind of connect with more people in more places it's like i didn't love being tied down in radio i kind of like to be on the go and you know i like working with artists like i like music like i don't love chit chat like i mean i like i learned to love chit chat and like don't get me wrong there's you know like this is amazing like yeah. You know, there's certain circumstances where it's like the interviews, like I enjoy doing the interviews, like if it's on, you know, the terms of like, we're going to have a conversation, but chopping things up tight for radio that are censored, that it's just like, it's a lot. And um, I realized, you know, running around with Peter was the best. Like it's, you know, I love connecting dots. I love throwing parties. I love having events. I love organizing things. And that's kind of where my heart's at. But you feel like you had to attach yourself to one particular artist. You you felt like that was gonna be I mean create more results in the long term kind of thing if you focused on that one artist. See, that's the thing is like, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily even about focusing on, you know, the one artist as much as it's like me and Davis got really tight um on genuine foundation. Like it wasn't on any kind of like oh, you have a following and you make music. Like, yes, his music's amazing. Yes, his following's great. But, like, he's a good kid. Um, and, he, and he has, like, a vision. He's just very shy. He has to work through a lot of his own things, too. But, you know, I think it's just having that kind of relationship. And, like, don't get me wrong. Over time, like, I've built that with a lot of artists. I've built that, you know, same or similar relationship with, um, you know, influencers of all sorts. Like I have comedians that ask me to manage them. Like I can manage a lot of people, but I feel like 
the smart thing to do is like get it right one time and then kind of learn and build and yeah you can't spread yourself then yeah well it's it's learning honestly it's like not even necessarily the spreading myself thing because i feel like i could handle it but it's like i think it's important to pay attention to details and Davis is like the best because, you know, he makes the best shit ever. He's super talented. Like if people really give his lyrics a listen, like he's super talented and he's funny as hell. Like, so he does the comedy and the skits too. Like he does both. And really it's like what we work on is just like insecurities and just foundational shit. And, you know, it teaches me a lot about the business and the management. It's just like, you know, it's been a little slow paced, but like, you know, you got to trust the time in your life. But like, there's just so much to learn about yourself, about the game, about people and being part of like it on an evolving scale. Because I feel like radio is not necessarily evolving. Like, I think management is something that like, is constantly evolving. And it's not in front of the camera, but it allows me to be like, in a space where I could do a podcast, it just feels right. Like it feels like a good balance. It's just getting, you know, the opportunities to do things at the level you want to do things. Yeah. And for you, is it a combination of finding things out and learning them as you go? Or do you feel like there's, you know, there's a couple of templates that you look up towards in terms of an artist manager relationship? For sure. No, there's definitely templates. Um, But I'd say they're very unconventional. It's just like watching how other people work with their artists and which artists are where, you know, on the totem pole. You know, for me, it's kind of different. I don't know. I study a lot. Like, you know, so it's not necessarily even just watching what other people do, but also like reading every book that you read in college and then some like, you know, really watching every video on everything. Like it's, I'm super detailed. I take notes. Like I set aside time to really study as if I'm in school. So it's like, I can't just, you know, know people and connect those dots without like actually understanding what I'm talking about. And, you know, the same way I was with radio, I am with this shit. It's not like I necessarily think I know what I'm doing. You know, I go into it always being willing to ask for help and knowing who to trust with what information and, you know, being able to kind of like dictate who has what role. So it's like a bigger thing than just, you know, get somebody lit. Like it's, there's a lot that goes into it. Oh yeah. But, you know, I try and learn everything I can from every which way. And I think the advantage I have is, you know, just to kind of personally know everybody and see everybody, you know, to some extent or another, like, you know, I'm not the tightest with everybody, but there's a couple of people that I'm really tight with that are very like, respected and you know respectful people and I try and be on that time of just like you know find my place I feel like coming from broadcasting is a great network builder and that's why I love it and that's why I'll never turn my back on it in any way or like talk down on it you know I might eventually slow down on it you know who knows but it's a it's a great place to build your network and for you whether it's someone you've you know, you've witnessed it or someone you've analyzed from afar, who do you feel like you look up to in terms of like that management artist relationship? Who, who, who's kind of nailed it or, or nailing it currently? I think, I think they speak for themselves. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I want to just name people because there's going to be people I forget, but there's definitely True. people that I look up to in the sense of like, I watch a lot of the complex like blueprints, like a lot of those people that are on there, if not all of them, like 
lot of people I see on TED Talks. You know, one person I will name, like I watched that um the Superman movie on Netflix is Shep Gordon managed like Alice Cooper okay. and Jimi Hendrix and all like that was pretty tight because he's from like around here. But I mean, anybody from him to Scooter to Dre to, you know, there's a lot of people. It's too many to name. Like I can't, I, I, it'd be impossible to say. It's, it's like a, melt, a melting pot of different people that you you want to be kind of thing. It's kind of like you take the best bits from everyone because, you know, you always learn from other people's mistakes as well. Like, I guess that's the beauty of people who share their professional and co- their, their career life, if that makes sense. That's, that's the beauty in this world is that, you know, we can look at what happened previously and try to do it better, you know, do it with a twist. Yeah. So your artist, how did you find your artist? And let's mm-hmm. talk about him. He found me. He's lucky he found me. Um, nah, I mean, Davis, I found Davis. Um, at, he came to hot. He, he honestly, he came to hot. Um, he came with this kid I was managing and I brought the kid to the station and he was really big on Vine at the time and he brought his boy and Davis and him were tight. And he came to hot and a mutual friend was just kind of like, you got to hear his music. His music's awesome. He's like, he's an artist too. And the kid came to the radio station, didn't take pictures of himself, didn't ask for anything, didn't like nothing. Just like, you wouldn't even know. You would think it was the artist's brother or something. Like he didn't tell anybody who he was. You know, this kid had 5 million followers on Vine. Doesn't say a word to anybody. And the mutual friend like plays the music and I'm like, oh nah, this kid's amazing. Like the music is really good. Like it's great music. And I'm like, what's his situation? And he's um he was signed to like a production company at the time that was just very not doing the best they could with him, that in my opinion. And you know, or maybe they were doing the best they could, I don't know. But it's like it was just not an ideal situation. And, you know, we kind of got tight and time went on and he got out of the situation and we started working. So you said that you were managing someone prior that's no longer in the picture either? Yeah, I was managing a kid. Um, it was like for a couple months, it was maybe three or four months, this kid um from Jersey that's like super talented kid. But um he was tied up with, you know, these other people that were kind of sketchy and it 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 was a long story, but like it was just like, you know, I go off vibes, like I go off people's personalities and like how I vibe with them. No, of and, course. And me and the kid vibes, me and the people around the kid were vibing. Right. And he he right. just like, you know, I, I told him, I was like, you know, you got a whole situation, like stick with your situation. Like I met Davis. Davis was like, I just believed in the character more, like honestly, like in his character. And, you know, let's not get it twisted. It's okay to not get something right. Oh, don't get it twisted. The kid from Jersey could rap his ass off. Like, no cat. Yeah. Like, he could rap his ass off. Like, for me to take the chance in management at all with any artist. Like, the kid got some shit. But it's like the mentality was very, like, ego. And then it was like the people around him were just completely ego. And it was like, I'm somebody who has no fucking ego with any of this shit. So it's like when you come around and you're thinking who you are and you haven't done anything. And like, I don't have an ego, but I know like half of probably what I've done. And like, I can't like, you know, I just, I have to respect you at the end of the day. So it's just like, it didn't, it didn't make sense, but the kid could wrap his ass up. (laughs) I'm with you on the fact that, your your attitude is more than 50%. Talent alone is just 
is honestly such a small proportion. Like your attitude comes above everything else. That's what I. That's what I think. That's what I've learned anyway. Yeah. And when you have everything, when you when you tick all the boxes, that's where you can really rise above. That's where you thrive, straight up. And but it's a lot because you have to decide what you're willing to compromise on too. Like at the end of the day, some people like these artists are artists too. So it's like, you know. It's not always going to be exactly how you want it to be, but like people have to be willing to look in the mirror, you know, and it's tough. And like, don't get me wrong. The other kid, like he was great. Like I could have still worked with him, but it was like the people he was around were just not getting it. And they were the reason that I even knew him. And it just didn't seem like something that made sense. Yeah. And worth investing your time and efforts and everything basically into, because that's what people forget most of the time when you're a manager you know, that's a lot of your own personal self that you're dedicating. Straight up. I mean, Scooter said it best in his interview. He's like, you know, it's like when when you win, the artist wins. But when you lose, the manager loses. <laughs> like, no matter what. Like, it's never... So true. You know, so it's like you really have to just kind of, like, have that relationship. And, you know, I, it's really... For me, I don't deal with anybody. Like, I really don't like people. So it's like, you know, for me to really fuck with you, like... I got to fuck with you. Like, I fuck with you heavy, Sarah Harrison. Like, you good people. Like, it's there's very few people that are good people like that. You dig? So it's like, it, I really, I have a very strict standard for people that I, like, will deal with business-wise, romantically, or otherwise. And, like, I stick to it. No, no, I'm I'm completely the same as well. And I just sense vibes too much. And sometimes I scare myself because I'm like, okay, not everyone has to be bad, like, but there's such a because there's such a small proportion of people that I actually genuinely fuck with that it's like, come on, Sarah, like, let yourself breathe. Do you know what I'm saying? But nah, you you know what it is. People aren't bad. People are just lost. Like, I don't believe that there's mm. bad people. People are just so lost. Like they, you know, it it takes a lot. Like no cap. Like I mean, to bring this full circle, like working in radio, like I got a little lost. Like, I had people hitting me from high school that I didn't really deal with that, like, everybody sends you free stuff. Like, it's, you know, so it's easy to really get lost a little bit. And it's, like, knowing yourself enough to be, like, you know what, as great as this is, I see the the big picture and I see this isn't something that lasts. And it's, like, I need to enjoy it while I got it. But at the same time, always look ahead to, like, where you could evolve as a person you know i think that's really important i think people get comfortable and they don't want to evolve but it's like you have to challenge yourself to evolve you got to really be like comfortable with discomfort you know you have to challenge yourself and it's like growth doesn't come from you know comfort and i think that's the thing is like you know we all have to do it and some people haven't done it you know to the, the extent that we have in their years, you know, the way we have in ours. So I've also noticed myself distancing from people who don't have that approach of taking up new challenges or of, you know, not being in that comfortable zone all the time because I feel like I start to get like that or it's, you know, it's not challenging me. I want someone, I want people around me to be doing better than me, if that makes sense, because then I'm like, shit, I have to catch up in some way. Yeah, well, it, you are a product of the nine people you're around. You're the ten, you know. So it's like, was oh, it nine? I don't know. <laughs> as many people as you could get around that are doing what you want to be doing is the best thing you can do. Not right now. Not right now. Disclaimer. 
Not right now, disclaimer. <laughs> not more than three people. Not more than the three people uh, party. I feel you. It'd be hard to deal with it. Yo, I didn't had a hundred people around me doing what I want to be doing. Like I really try and just submerge myself in it. But I mean, there's an art to that also. I think we all got stuff to learn, you know, at the end of the day. But it's like manners are something you should learn early on and respect is something Oof. like for yourself and others that's like essential, like at growth, you know, like it can't be. Like you're 30 years old, you're just learning how to have respect in public and shit. Like, you know, people are crazy. So I just stay away from everybody. I mean, inside, like that video of Logic. Um, shout out to Logic. Shout out to all the visionaries. It'd be there. You want to talk about some people I respect? Visionary goes crazy. Um, but Logic, he has that video of like, I don't fuck with nobody. I stay in my house. <laughs> you ask me if I want to come outside? No. Like. You should use that right now. That's like appropriate, isn't it? <laughs> no cap. For the time we're living in, for sure. So your artist is Live Live, live Like Davis. Davis. Live Like live Davis. Like Dave. Yeah, everybody calls him Live, but his name is Live Like Davis. Okay, why is that his name? I mean, I don't know. He came up with it. You got to save that for the interview with him. <laughs> You see that? I'm going to set it up. No, for sure. No, that, that would be so dope. So he's from, where's he from? He is from Long Island, lives in oh, Best Island. in Brooklyn. Yeah, he lives in Brooklyn now. You think you think he's from the city now? <laughs> oh, does he? You guys have this thing about people from Long Island, right? Yeah, well, I live in Long Island now, but I grew up in the city. It's it's mad funny. Davis is outside. He, he out in uh, Best Eye. Okay, okay. But um, yeah, I mean, he's doing his thing. He's he, we about to drop some record that just got a date on the next one is like mid April, and um, he just dropped some videos. Like it's just rolling stuff out. It's like keeping the consistency and the motivation of all stuff out. So nothing's um has been pushed back or anything has been modified since. A lot has been pushed back. <laughs> oh, okay. So you you actually have taken it upon yourself to kind of modify things a little bit not with this but like just in general we pushed a lot of things back so he has a ton of content so it's like lined up perfectly with this timing because it's like he has so much stuff and now everybody's inside so he's just been dropping videos and songs and like you know just being consistent which is like good like he's getting to a place where it's like he treats it like a job because Davis, Davis is like Basquiat. Davis is like he doesn't he doesn't paint to sell. Like he Davis paints to paint. And it's like, you know, thank God he's not like he doesn't have the vices Basquiat had. But you know, Davis is like he has his own vices. So, you know, it's nice to see him being able to focus and like really get some records out because he's in a good space right now. And it's nice to kind of see. What was he doing on Vine that got him such a big following? He was just having fun with his brother. Him and his brother would go on and do videos and like Rihanna reposted his videos and like all kinds of people. What? He's Davis is like crazy. Davis Davis really grandfathered a lot of the stuff that's happening right now with the dances. He used to dance on the train with like all these kids with Kid the Wiz and them. Like Davis has been around the block. So, I mean. Is he applying it to, now to TikTok? seeing as it's such a big thing he just started tiktok he's at like 50k on there davis he just like crazy. he naturally gets the content crazy when he get when he applies himself he's like always making funny shit i'm gonna have to dig dig these videos then. <laughs> just if you go to youtube and type in live like davis you can see all the vine comps 
all the Instagram comps. Like, we got everything set up. So it's like people could go see. It's hella funny. We got mad Vine compilations. It's like... That's so lit. And how do you feel like since you've, since you've been in the picture, what's been like a turning point, both musically and professionally for him? For him, absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing yet, to be honest. I know it sounds crazy, but like Davis, when I met Davis, he was making hella money every week off Vine, not focused at all. Like we had it start from like getting him a laundry day. And like, I mean, I'd say I've helped him substantially behind the scenes when it comes to like just maturing and becoming like the young mogul he is. But like, you know, it took mad long to get the videos together. And it's like, you know, because he was kind of waiting for somebody to come and just set it all up. And it's like a lot of times that's what a lot of labels do. They just come with a bag and they set it all up. And the situation he was in, it just like he wasn't getting it all set up and he had to go out and get it on his own. And it's like it took a while for him to understand that because I mean, he blew up at like 16, 17 on Vine and was making like seven grand a week. He was going crazy, you know. And at that age, it's like you gonna make mistakes. And, you know, I think that's that's kind of where I came in is like help him learn from the mistakes and really tap into his talent. Now he's making like the best fucking music of his life. He's like super focused on everything like is you know like it's it takes time it took a good four years (laughs) yeah no it does take time so what's your take on production deals then i know you said he was in one yeah i mean if you could if you could do it do it like i ain't mad at it i just don't understand how anybody could do it like i mean unless you're with a major like i don't i don't understand how people how one company is gonna provide for an artist that's like got real talent, no disrespect to the artist that's like whatever, but like, you know, an artist that really has talent, how are you going to get this kid's visions out or anybody's visions out with one, with resources from one center point? Like, it's like, if I'm, if I'm a manager, like, don't get me wrong. I know video kids that are great. I know photographers that are great. Like, I probably know more great people in each respective field from PR to booking agents. So, like, I know enough good people and I couldn't even pull off a production company. Like, and you need a lot of money and you need people that, like, the artists. Like, if the artist doesn't mess with my videographers, if they don't mess with my, like, you know, the people I could provide to get their vision out, how is it really going to be sustainable? Because, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what I love about this. And I think all of us do to some extent and sick, but like, it's not necessarily even so much about, you know, the, like the music is the creative in general. It's like, you know, if you're somebody that is really adamant, like you can't do what Travis Scott did with one person's resources. Like, you know, like you need, Exactly. So many different resources and so many different ways to work out the creativity. And it's like, that's the sick part of it. It's like, if you're sincerely in this for the reasons of like helping these kids work out their creativity, you got to just let them have enough in their control or give them enough guidance from like your end to be able to like get the people that they want to work with, you know, that are the 16 year old kids that do videos that they're like, this person needs to shoot my music video because they have the vision. Like, you know, if you're a production company, chances are you're older, you have money and you're going to be talking to a video dude who was like shooting weddings maybe, or like shoots these random, like 
You know, like it, yeah, even yeah. I mean, maybe you're in the industry and you know some people, but like to pull it off for real, for real, with the, some of the percentages these people get, it's like y'all ain't major labels, and it's like you could call it a production company all day. You're not a major label. You don't have the resources. You don't have the bread. What would differentiate a production company and an independent record label? It's all it's all how they structure it. You know, anything could be built out to be anything. You know, so that's that's why it just it gets sketchy. Like it comes down to do you have the money, do you have the relationships, and are you willing to risk it on this kid's vision? That's what it comes down to, like at the end of the day. And however you want to word that to be whatever, like the thing is is the mm. people with the money and the relationships are the people who have done it the longest and the best positions. Like that's it. You know, so it's like you could be a variation of that. Like I'm a variation. I'm a radio dude. Like you know, at the end of the day, like I might do management and all, but I'm a radio dude that is fortunate to be, you know, to have been on a a really premier station to meet people that are in these big seats. But like at the same time, I'm not anybody important to these people. They have people in their buildings that they work with daily. Like it's there's a lot, you know. So. It's to have relationships to build out these production companies and all, and you're competing with these guys that do this for real, for real, with big budgets, with big relationships, with, you know, you can't do that to a kid. You can't put a kid under your company and be like, I'm going to take the same thing that these people would take and offer the same. You can't offer the same. You just can't. Like, it's, you know, you have to be real with what you could offer. And then when the big people come in, I'm also still in the, like, in the pie. Yeah, well, that's why they do it is like, you know, they want to be in the pie when the big people come in. But it's like, it's just morally, like nothing great comes from it. Like you look at the people that are really doing this for real. Like, you know, I'll give credit where it's due to to like the, you know, Post Malone's to, um you know, Travis <laughs> to even Russ is doing it crazy. Like, you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that are doing this at a level that's like, people don't understand then it really comes down to like how built in they are with their team who's on their team and what they get done and how they get it done like it it's a very finicky balance you know so i just for me i don't believe in in just taking so much of the artist's vision like we're fortunate that we could do this for a long time with a lot of different people you know these kids get a couple of years to really do it right if we come together, we could really help them do it right and like create something sustainable instead of just like turning it around for short money. As of recent, the narrative has been major labels are getting pushed out of the equation. Do you find that truthful? I mean, they're not going to disappear. <laughs> they're not going to disappear ever. So it's like, you know, it's not like, you know, they get pushed out on certain talent. I mean, I guess if they can't get any great talent, but they'll always have an A&R that, like, could get a kid that's, like, going to make them some bang for their buck. Like, it's not going to, you know, it's a team sport. Like, at the end of the day, like, and their their teams are strong. So, you know, regardless, and they have the bag. But, I mean, there's definitely people that are coming in that are taking from profits, for sure, There's that are taking some of the market space, like, you know, it's not necessarily all, you know, sunshine and rainbows for major labels, but it, it's not sunshine and rainbows for fucking anybody in this game. <laughs> like The rules are constantly being checked. There, there are no rules, really, like, or boundaries. Yeah, I mean, don't don't get me wrong. It is sunshine and rainbows for some people. I, there's definitely some people that it's sunshine and rainbows for, but 
how sustainable is it? And if it is sustainable, God bless you. Like somebody put in some work somewhere because it's very rare. You mean it's very rare for someone who's completely independent? It's it's very rare for somebody to be able to just do whatever the fuck they want when they want across the board. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's yeah. very few people have clout like that. It's a clout game. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. It's true. Like how much leverage can you bring into this room to, to have things done your way? And the likes of Kanye would, wouldn't even achieve that sometimes, you know? Well, that's the thing is it's like, it's clout, but part of your clout is how you utilize it and like how much of it's really sustainable because not all clout is sustainable clout. Like I have a Cardi B plaque behind me. That's definitely. I was going to come around to that at some point. <laughs> that's, that's clout. But like, you know, what did I do? I play the record a bunch. Like I fuck with Cardi, like, you know, like at the end of the day, it's like it's clout, but most people don't realize it's like I didn't definitely worked way harder for a lot more shit in here. <laughs> There's a lot more shit mm, in here. I get you. You know, so I'm definitely like, owed a couple plaques that some people just forget. Yo, you, but it's fine. Yo, Rich the it's Kid. Fine. Rich the Kid, <laughs> if you watch this, I want my fucking plug walk plaque ASAP. <laughs> and definitely, you know, like I, we won't even talk about the rest, but it's like I need I'm that. not even gonna because I don't want to be that person because then I'll just look like I'm a big. Nah, I love Rich. You got it. You know that boss. That but I do have some clout on my wall. Project I mean, now. it's only Quincy Jones. I love it. Quincy Jones is major. You are out here, and you got you got a lot of drip behind you. You got some uh, lots of lots of ice. Lots yeah, of well, badges. lanyards or whatever they're called. I got a whole bag somewhere. I save every so wristband ever. You be playing piano, you find yeah. out. Oh, man. I used to do it all, man. I've got the vocal booth and everything. Wow. It's like a college radio station in there. <laughs> it really is. I've got turntables underneath me. I love it. Yeah, nah, you working. I see you out here. I fucking, I respect you a lot. Yo, you be grinding. You do your thing. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it's definitely at a place now where, as I said, we have to keep going. Like Straight up. I do feel like after this, I, it's just talking to you now. I completely forgot that we're on lockdown. I, <laughs> I told you this is going to be the best episode ever. I got my friend Coco is going to kill me. I, I can't stay much longer, but I've had the most fun ever here. Yeah, no, definitely. I feel like, you know, we've covered it and there's so much more to cover in years to come. You know, this is only, you know, not even midway through your career. So, but, you know, I feel like it needed to be. Nah, it's awesome. See, you're you're on your Barbara Walters. You know what you're doing. <laughs> I hope so. Okay, now you got it. You got it, slime. So, where can people follow you and your artist and whatever else you got going on? At Live Like Davis, you can find me in his profile at Hot Mike. Hopefully, uh, next to the management. Um, nah, at Hip Hop Mike, hit me. I'm I'm everywhere. Find live like Davis through me, and find everything else I do. And uh, yeah, we yeah, we grinding. You know the vibes. Are you still open to new talent? Because I know you've always been on on your live, like listening to new people. Always, always. I will tell you, I have my eye on one artist that is just the best. But like in time. But if you, if anybody out there, or if you know anybody. And you know, I'm looking for producers too. I need some of those UK beats. Please send them to M-T-U-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z at gmail.com. That is my personal email. Send me UK beats. 
Okay, I've never given my personal email out anywhere, but I will give it out right here because I need some UK beats. But um, yeah, you can hit me on the gram, everybody else. I'm like, I'll be out here, and I'm always looking for artists. I know we, we, you know, we spoke about ideas of us collaborating on projects and stuff. So we need to make this happen for real. Please, let's let's discuss for sure. I'm I'm free from now until forever. How it's looking <laughs> until further notice, right? Yeah, I mean, I might be washing my hands, but I'll call you back within 20 seconds. Worst case. This is the this is the real A and R going on over here, man. Okay. Trust me. They don't even know. Trust me. Yo, a lot of these A and Rs don't even know. Y'all is not in the street. That's the thing. I'll be in the streets. I'll really be out here. <laughs> I know that. I know. I know for a fact. Why this whole quarantine got me effed up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I understand. Like, you're really hands-on. Yeah. Trust me. Uh, you guys to be. You too. I see you in Atlanta. You was in the trap. We was in the trap. No cap. Oh, tra- <laughs> I love Atlanta. There's no escaping the trap in Atlanta. But listen, I don't want to take more of your time, right? You need to head out. Well, head off. I'm here. I mean, if you have any other questions, I will always answer. But otherwise, I'm going to eat this pizza and hang out with my homie Kim Kobo. For sure, man. No, I'm so happy that we got to spend the day in quarantine together. Well, an hour of our day. Nah, we, we definitely, we need to figure out what we're going to do consistently. This is awesome. I love it. Yeah, 100%. I'm down. And let's do this tape as well. We spoke about it in September. And we need to I'm just down. get the wheels in motion. Let's, it's done. What's up? I'm waiting on you. Let's and go. live like Live Like Davis. Like, we're going to get him on on. You gotta, on you gotta listen to Live Like Davis's shit. Davis goes crazy, bro. Davis goes crazy. He's so talented. I just need his ass working. His ass got to keep working. You played me his stuff. So, yeah, I'm... I'm all, I'm all for it. I fucking love you, homie. This is fun. <laughs> love you too, man. <laughs> Thank you so much, Hip Hop Mike. Thank you. In the Trap podcast on lockdown day one chat, with Hip Hop Mike chat. and your host, Sarah Harris, the lady in the trap. <laughs> Episode one. I love it. <laughs> Episode one. Done. All right, gang.